You're listening to Living Millennial Podcast, a podcast that features and celebrates Black millennials doing amazing things in industries that they're in. We'll tap into all things trending and some that aren't. Let's get deep fast. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Living Millennial. I am Brittany. Hey, hey, it's Mandisa. And we are so excited that y'all have joined us yet again. And of course, we're excited for the new folks, folks who have found us. Welcome to Living Millennial Podcast. (laughs) I am so excited today. Here's why. I'm always excited, but here's why I'm like extra excited because we have a special guest of all special guests. We have my friend Camille with us. Say hello, hello. Hey, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Hey. Yes. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited for us to get to know you more and also for the audience to get to know you more. Um, I love this part of the show. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow space for you to do what you do and tell us exactly who you are. Give us your titles, the pronouns, all the things. Let us know. All right, let's do it. So I'm Camille Bethune-Brown. I am a historian and museum curator working at the intersections of race, disability, gender, and class, uh, predominantly as it relates to 20th century American history. Uh, My pronouns are she and her, and I have been in this field, gosh, like eight years now. It seems like just yesterday I entered, but here I am. And um, I I work full-time in San Diego at the Mingay International Museum as a curator. Um, And I also own a small consulting business, Curating Camille LLC, where we specialize in essentially building museums from nothing, uh, building their collections and making sure that they are equitable in all aspects of operation. Mm. That's a little bit about me. I'm in love with your description of what you do. I can't wait to get into this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. I love creating a space for folks to tell us about themselves because y'all do such an amazing job at it. Like, I feel like I would be like, so lackluster, like, oh yeah, she's a curator and historian and da da da. But listen, all the energy you just gave, that's exactly what we want. That's exactly what the people need to hear because we can already sense the passion and the love that you have for what you do. And that's what the show is all about. That's right. And I will tell you, I am notoriously bad at at, uh, talking about myself as far as describing (laughs) what I do. I'm way too humble. So I'm ready to like brag today. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All day. I will say uh, every time that I hear or see the word curator, I think of, um, I forget her character's name, but Julia Roberts from Ocean's Eleven. Because yeah. every time I see that movie, I'm like, I wonder how does she get this? Like, how do people get jobs as museum curators? Which we will get into that on how yeah. you yeah. are in the position that yeah. you are in today. And, and nowadays, everybody, I see on social media, they call themselves curator. And it's like, mm. what exactly does that mean? So. Yeah. Well, well, then, so yeah. tell us, like, let us know what that means for yeah. you. Um, sure. And let these people know what it really is. Yeah, so <laughs> so when you traditionally think about the role of a curator, um, it really goes back to sort of uh, museum terminology. And the curator is a, essentially the person who is, I have to say, the, the knower of all things, or usually they kind of have an area of expertise 
in a museum. Um, and it varies from whether you're talking about a children's museum to a history museum to an art museum and everything under the sun. But your curator is going to be the person that essentially is sort of the subject matter expert. They do the research on an object. They mm. determine with a team what objects and artifacts should be brought in, mm. how they should be displayed, where they should be displayed, how long should they be displayed? And in some cases, particularly if it's a smaller museum, the curator will also work as something called a collections manager, which essentially says, um, here's sort of the upkeep and conditions that you need to be able to properly care for that artifact, wow. um, which I personally think every curator needs to have be a collections manager. You need to know how to care for that object more than you need to know just sort of the historical significance of the object. They go really hand in hand. So in my case, I like to say that my background is um, late 19th century and early 20th century African-American history and culture, specifically Black women in Reconstruction. Uh, but I like to say that I, you know, if it's U.S. history, I can more or less figure out my way around it. But my bread and butter is Black women's history. That's what I get excited about. That's what I want yes. to school for. That's yes. what, what I like to talk about. Um, yeah, so it's it's, uh, it's good times. It keeps me on my toes. I love oh, that. That's dope. Yeah. That's dope. I, you know, that's another field that you don't think about, like, of like, oh, like you have, you should have experts in how to care for things. And like, wow. Ooh. Store anything. And you know, what's interesting is like, um, sometimes people will say, well, do you wear special gloves or have special tools that mm. you use for your job? And as a curator, we wear nitrile gloves, unless you're an archivist, which is a person who specializes in the upkeep of paper documents like books, photographs, video files, audio files. And that's a whole different level of schooling. Um, in archivists, they usually wear cotton gloves to protect the old photographs and papers. Whereas curators, we tend to wear nitrile gloves really to protect from the oils and other things in our hands uh, to protect the objects. Listen, you taking me to school and I'm here for it. <laughs> like when I see on social media, um, sometimes people say, ah, oh, I curated this, this wardrobe, this, you know, outfit. And I'm like, okay, but like, and I don't want to get hate mail for this, but yes, you did pick out, you did pick out an outfit. Okay. But yeah. is that really curating? Is that when you really like think about it? Or yeah. is it just using curate to elevate right. picking out an outfit? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I, I wish my job was that easy to just pick out a bunch of objects. Right. Did uh, you just style? Right. Did I just stylize this? <laughs> you know, I think of a curator in the museum field. I think of us as like interior decorators. We make the museum look good but everybody's got a job to play. <laughs> yes, yes, I love, I'm also hearing so many cross-references between the stage management field, which is what I'm in, and the, the lane of curating and, yes. and museum uh, work and building uh, what exhibitions and museums yeah, look like when we as consumers walk into them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> I'm like on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love the, again, the, just the excitement. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. Hey, Mandisa, are you yes. excited to give us the word of the day? Yes, let's keep <laughs> on schooling some people. So today's word of the day 
Day, which for those of you who are returning listeners, y'all know what this is. For those of you who are new at this and for you, Camille, today, our word of the day is essentially, it may not be a word that you are completely unfamiliar with. It may just be a word that simply, I, I think we need a refresher on today. But I think since we're, we're diving into the art world, I wanted to bring an element of that today in today's word of the day. So get your pens and paper ready or your phone, your notepad, whatever you got. Because we, the three of us, are going to try and use this word throughout our discussion today, which is why it's related to today's topic. Um, so today's word of today is compose, and it means the order or arrange to form a whole, especially in an artistic way. Compose. Compose. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm going to ask you to say that one more time because I just love the way you (laughs) say these definitions. Yes, indeed. I got you. Compose, order or arrange to form a whole, especially in an artistic way. So for those of you listening, compose, whole, whole? oh, with a W. Okay. (laughs) In a, in a whole. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, so those of you listening, get your tallies out. Let's see how many times we can write this down. Because this I in. yes, write it down. Yes, yes, yes. Compose, compose. And here's the fun part. We're gonna do something uh, different today. We're actually we're also gonna get a word of the day from our guest. <gasps> yes which I'm excited about. We already know what it is, but I'm excited to use it already. <laughs> yes, and I love that Camille is coming with the word of the day. For real, for yeah. real, like yeah. letting us know. So, all right, let us know what your word of the day is today. Okay. It's a word that most people know, but I'm going to use it in a sentence so that you understand what I really mean by this word. Oh, this word point? Of, yes, the word of the day is audacity. Mm. And the reason I chose audacity It's because sometimes people's audacity is astounding and I love to see how far it takes them. So your word is audacity. And if you want to use it in a sentence today, let's do it. Let's do those tallies. I love it. Tallies. They're going to be waiting for us. (laughs) I'm ready to use these. These are good ones. I like them, (laughs) y'all. This is good. All righty. So here's yet another segment. Y'all know we love games here at Living Millennial Podcast. And I think today's a great day to play Would You Rather? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm excited. So for those who do not know, Would You Rather is a game where I'm going to give two scenarios and Camille and Mendisa have to tell me which they would rather. Here is the kicker. And here is the part of the game we never listened to. (laughs) We can't change shit, okay? Not a thing. It is what it is. is Option one and option two are option one and option two, okay? (laughs) So all the calculating and stuff we be trying to do. The loopholes. Yeah. Can I take this off? Can I add this on? Yeah. None of that. (laughs) None of that. Now I am a sucker and I might allow a little wiggle room, (laughs) but we're going to try not to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to do our best. We're going to mix it up. All right. Here is our first 
ooh, our first scenario. Would you rather have traditional art or digital art? Oh, that's easy. Traditional art. Okay. <laughs> Tell us why. Okay, so if we say digital art as it relates to, let's say, NFTs, which seem to be like hot, hot ticket items, um, I'm going to say uh, digital art, I think, has the tendency, it'll probably bust as a, as a form of, of art within the next three to five years. I mean, think of like Beanie Babies of the 90s and everyone thought you were going to make millions of dollars and what we're not even talking about them nowadays. It's, you know, the thing with digital art or specifically NFTs it's like if I told you, you own a Van Gogh painting, but you don't actually own the painting. You own a small digital footprint behind multiple glass doors and safes on the internet that says, that says this is the artwork. You don't actually necessarily own the artwork. The artwork is in some big fancy museum. And so I find with digital art, specifically NFTs, it's just, it's a giant scam. And it, it's like they appeared out of nowhere and people are, um, People are getting rich off of it. People are getting rich. I think I saw Jay-Z released an NFT of his first album, Reasonable Doubt, for like millions of dollars, right? And I'm like, Jay, you're already rich. You don't, you, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. But right, uh, leave us alone. <laughs> leave us alone. Uh, but traditional art and, yeah, I mean, how I have artwork behind me. I, I love traditional art. I like supporting the artists, meeting the artists, touching the Quite frankly, I think artwork adds warmth and depth to a room and really is a great way to show off your personality um, and what you're into. Yeah. What about you, Mandisa? What would you choose? I'm definitely on the, the traditional art train. I am a, a highly physically communicator. Um, and I, I think there's no better way to experience art than to, you know, really get up in its face and, yeah. and, if you can't, especially in like 3D experiences mm -hmm. to be oh, immersed oh. in something like that. And, and to really, I was actually just at a museum the other day and to be able to stand, you know, within feet and inches of pieces and really get a firsthand look at how they're composed. Um, okay. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like it. So mm -hmm. traditional. Yep. 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 What about you, Britt? Yeah. What about you? Um, you know, though I have a few digital art pieces, <laughs> I would much rather digital art. I mean, sorry, traditional art. I would much rather have traditional art. Um, and I love how Camille, you're basically talking, you're basically talking about the end game, like the long, you're talking about longevity and like, and history and all the things that comes with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, for those reasons, I would much rather traditional art um but until then i'm i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna go with my little my little baby digitals <laughs> girl that cost me 50 dollars for now um <laughs> right until i grow up until just until i grow up y'all <laughs> all right so here is something a little different would you rather wear comfortable clothes or fashionable clothes mm. okay take this one camille <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you had asked me three years ago what my answer was, I would have said comfortable clothes. But recently, I decided now that I have like big girl money, that I am going to invest in my wardrobe and invest in like quality, 
quality clothing. I had to I had to break away from H and M and all. And there's no nothing wrong with H and M, but I had to I had to break away. Um, so so I would say fashionable clothing. But the thing is with fashionable clothing, I am actually short in real life, and <laughs> um, <laughs> and a lot of this, these fashionable brands they make stuff for the tall girls. They make them for the five sevens and above. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I'm going to spend that money, I need you to have the inseam correct. I need you to make something for the short women. So I will definitely say fashionable, but not heels. You will not catch me in a pair of heels. I will wear some sneakers, stylish sneakers with a dress. You won't see me in heels. Yes. When I tell you, you are speaking yes. to my, the, the, yes. my clothing soul. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm trying to be good, Brittany. I'm, tr I'm really trying to be good in, in not meshing the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to respond with comfortable, Ooh. um, because so much of what I do, especially when I'm at work, whether it's five or six days a week, I'm, I'm in motion constantly and, and I'm there for eight, 12, four, like depending on the day. Some days it's, it's just a little four hours, but comfort is the name of the game. Um, however, I too, since I have gotten me a little big girl money, yeah. invest in nice, comfortable clothes. Yeah. I'm talking good material, some things that I'm investing in, in pieces that sure, they may cost me a little more upfront, but they're going to last me more. They aren't going to come out wrinkly. They aren't fresh out in the wash. Right. Fresh out the wash. They not see through unless I want them to be. <laughs> yes. And they are going to withstand the test of time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Really? <laughs> you did good. You did good. <laughs> you. you did good. Um, I would I would much rather comfortable clothes. That's always been the thing for me. Um, the I'm still very stylish and fashionable. Mm -hmm. Um, and don't necessarily go straight to like the cheaper round depend unless it's like last minute mm -hmm. um but i am i'm an aries so i'm much rather be in something comfortable um yeah i just i just prefer it it feels good yeah. what are you all go to clothing if you did choose one piece of clothing that you could only buy for the rest of your life what would you choose i'm Black in jumpsuits <laughs> jumpsuits. <laughs> jumpsuits i like that <laughs> Yep, I'm in I, jumpsuits. Yeah, jumpsuits, I love a coverall. I love a coverall. Yep. And, and dresses, because jumpsuits and dresses to me are outfits that you don't have to think about. You just put it on yes. or step into it, zip it up, and it's a built in out. And done. One and done. Yes. Yes. Yep. And then you got all the shoe options. Dress it up, dress it down. Focus your attention on finding the perfect shoe. But tops and bottoms, Makes them actually like nope, nope. I don't have the time. I can't. I get time. <laughs> See, I wear a lot of black, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep it simple. So my my answer is black leggings because they go with every <laughs> light, dark, all the things. Um, I am a, I'm starting to get more into jumpers and and rompers, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, or jumpsuits and rompers. But um, I'm not gonna lie, like. And when I'm, when it's time to pee, I don't always want to be like fully <laughs> naked. Yeah. Cause I don't wear bras really. Yeah. So yeah. I'm literally just tits out, <laughs> rings, hang, like all kind of stuff is happening. Um, 
which I mean sometimes yeah. I don't mind but yeah <laughs> that's my only qualm that's my only qualm but I am getting more into into that style um but so that concludes would you rather thank y'all that was fun I like that thank fun. you for those questions yes it always is. It's always fun too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, and before we get directly into the discussion, I thought it would be really cool to uh, bring up some quick quotes um, that have come up for us recently and kind of just tell, give the audience a little bit of how this represents our lives or how it fits into our lives right now and what our perspectives are on it. Um, so the first quote, Mindy, so this actually came from you. So mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and, sh- and read it out because you, this is, I think it's super, super dope. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So this is from Nathan Sawaya. I think I'm saying his name right. Um, Who I recently visited the the Lego exhibition that's here at the California Science Museum. Um, And a quote from him is, art makes better humans. Art is necessary in understanding the world and art makes people happy. Undeniably, art is not optional. Art is not optional. (laughs) Um, And I I love that I came across that in the same week that we are having this discussion with you, Camille, um, which which also led me to to kind of make a a merge of quotes. Um, And so I'm taking a little from from the quote that I just read from Nathan and also from... um, the artistic director of a theater that I just worked at. Um, And on our first day of rehearsal, she said, beauty is a bonus. And I thought beauty is a bonus and yet art is not optional. And I just just want to take a moment to let that sink in. (laughs) I love it. Yes. Yes, yes. And the, the intersection of art beauty and life I I think especially two of those things if not all three are are actually inseparable um because you can look around you and see um the art in in everything especially all the the living organisms around us and the shapes that we see and encounter each day and and there's functionality but -hmm. when you have a a level of beauty and and this really for me pertains to to people when there's a level of beauty that just makes it all just radiate and, and glow so much. And that, <laughs> it hit different. <laughs> yes. Oh, Felisa, I love you. <laughs> I love you, friend. Um, the, the part of both of those that sticks out to me is art is not optional. Mm-hmm. And for someone who was a creative, um, that hits home because I, I get inspired by every damn thing. <laughs> like and and that and I have to find ways to like place it or ways to release it and like otherwise like I legit like just feel weird like I don't know if I can't if I can't be creative if I can't release what has inspired me if I can't sometimes even if if I can't have certain conversations like I just I'm I just something ain't right yeah. So the art is not optional part for me. It's like, it's a real thing. It's because like in some way, shape or form, we're going to find a way to release the, the creativity that we have in some way, shape or form, we're going to find a way to create art. Um, and for me, even with this podcast, like this, this podcast is art, right? Our conversations is, is, has artistic value. Um, 
And oh, damn, artistic value. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad we record that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's the part that really just boom, that's the part that just hit me. Yeah. And I'm going to hold on to for a long time uh, because that's so relatable. That's so relatable. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Camille, you have a quote. I did. Okay. I'm going to do this off of memory because I don't have the document in front of me, but I say this quote a lot. So it, it's right on the, on the dome. And that is, it's by <laughs> Tony Cade Bambara. And she said, as a culture worker who belongs to an oppressed group, my job is to make the revolution irresistible. That is one of my favorite quotes. Um, and while I'm here, I might as well just mention one other quote because it's tattooed on my arm. Um, and that is, uh, Your Silence Will Not Protect You by Sista Audre Lorde. Uh, I think of those two quotes kind of hand in hand. The reason being, when we are oppressed folks who are arts workers, culture workers, uh, creatives, all, all the sorts, we do not merely get to just show up and do work. We are there to uplift, inspire, and also tell the story of, of the struggle. Um, we can't just sit back and be silent and turn a blind eye. We, as Black folks particularly, have been known to take tragedy and turn it into triumph. Um, and, you know, particularly with the quote about, you know, making the revolution irresistible, um, that is something that I strive to do every day in my life is just to keep on with, with what my ancestors would have wanted um, and tell stories that have impact, that are meaningful and that create change for generations to come. Oh, yes. And, and just like you said, to make the revolution irresistible yeah. is the part that just like... Honestly, that's probably going to be my next tattoo. I just don't know where I'm going to put it on me. But I, it will I be there. It will I be dig that. Words to live by to make Words it irresistible. Yes. yes, I'm a big... It's so funny because if I wasn't a historian, like if I wasn't a his, history major in school... I probably would have been a linguist because I love words, like learning new words, hearing words, how they are composed together. Uh, love a word. So. Oh, listen, you and my brother could probably go back and forth <laughs> with words all day. That That's his, yeah. he loves that. I'm like, give me numbers. He's like, give me words. I'm so bad at numbers. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> math was my worst subject in school, but my sister is actually... A mathematician for a living so what? that is amazing is she a millennial too send her this she way is, she's a millennial yeah exactly send her this way both of y'all stay next. in the circle yeah she's <laughs> she's up next um okay well speaking of your sister you're telling yeah. us a little bit more about yourself oh my God, yeah. re- let's get into the discussion for real for real because <laughs> yes. um, we definitely want to know more about how art showed up in your life growing up mm-hmm. um, that led to all the beautiful things wow. now but you, yeah but let's start with that how did art show up in your life growing up okay so I actually grew up right outside of DC in Maryland I grew up about 30, 35 minutes outside of DC. So just a stone's throw away from all of the Smithsonian museums um, and really like history and culture at the nation's capital. My parents um, did not really grow up going to museums, but it was important to them to expose my sister and I to things that, that they weren't exposed to. Living outside of DC, everything is free. Like all of the museums, everything is free. And I will tell you, 
when I left the DC area uh, last year to move to California, I was shocked that people pay for museums. I was like, $20, y'all bring 20 No, DC, we get this for free. Like, need to go back to DC. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I grew up visiting all sorts of museums. And what was stressed the most was the importance of Black art um, and really seeing yourself reflected back in what you were consuming. Yes, so we would we would visit different art museums, um, uh, Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia, um, all sorts of stuff. And actually, this isn't necessarily art related, but I think it's a good segue for how I kind of ended up in this career, is that when I was as a kid, I wanted an American Girl doll. I, I wanted the Addie doll. Looking back, I'm like, that's so problematic. But at the time, <laughs> that's real. at the time, yeah, six-year-old me was like, oh, she's black? I want Addie. I want, I want the slave doll. <laughs> like, give, give her to me. That's right. that, that's I want the, the one that was in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <I'm>, like, <laughs> and I'm, my, mother, my mother would always say, like, no, Camille. Like, we, no, you, no, you're not getting, you're not getting a slave doll. Like, no. So I, I never got the doll. But it was my first foray into, like, loving, learning about the past by reading those American Girl doll books um, and saying, like, oh, wow, like, this is how life was. This is how it is now. And that kind of planted the seed, like five, six-year-old me. I'm like, oh, I want to do something with this. So fast forward on, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I said, I'll just be a social studies and, or social studies or, or an art teacher. And that was what I told myself all the while. Social studies was like, was, that was the subject. That was my girl in school. Like social studies. I, I just, I winged it. Dates, writing, that was perfect. Math, that was my sister's area. That was, that was where she shot. And, and I'll tell you, my, uh, in school, because my sister and I are, are a year apart, we're a year and eight days. Um, so we were, we were born real close together. Uh, I used to do her, her social studies homework, and she would do my math homework. And we would just hit the old switcheroo. So we were the winning team. We really were. Y'all were fire. That's we were dope. <laughs> and I just have one sister and, um, you know. And so anyway, fast forward to college. I started college um, as a pre-law major because I thought, okay, people who like history are either teachers or they're lawyers. And I, I was like, well, I want to make a little bit of money. So let me, let me be a lawyer. I took one law class and it, whew, it was depressing. It was depressing for my people. Um, I was like, you know what? I don't like law. Like this is, this ain't it. So I continued onward. Um, I, at that time was attending an HBCU and hey, and uh, it was, it was in one of my history classes that I had a professor said, Dr. Woods, he said, we were more than slaves. We, there is so much more to black people than, than that. And 18 mm -hmm. year old me hearing that like my third or fourth week of college, I was like, oh my gosh, he's right. There is so much more. And, and during that time, I learned so much about black history outside of enslavement that I said, this is what I want to do for a living. But I didn't, I didn't exactly figure out I was going to work in museums until my senior year of college, actually. So I spent most of college as an education minor, secondary ed, so I, I can legally teach social studies in, in Maryland if I want. And I was a student teacher for a hot sec, but uh, yeah. And then I, I'll tell the story how I ended up in museums if, if you wanted or we can. 
You want to hear the story? It's a good story. Yeah, girl, that's the next, that was going to be the next next question. question. Okay. That's such a dope story. Before that, I do want to know if you don't mind shouting out your, your HBCU, because I'm, I too am a, am a fellow HBCU grad and, and they're important institutions. (laughs) Important. They do meaningful work. I went to Bowie State. Um, Yes. Yes. I think HBCUs, especially they, um, they, Personally, I think they give students um, who otherwise may not have opportunities, they, they give us a chance at a great education, um, you know, and hell, it, from there, I've met some of my, my most near and dear lifelong friends. So I tell anybody, do it. <laughs> um, now, museum. So I'm bebopping along in college, thinking I'm going to be a teacher. Didn't really want to be a teacher. My mom's a teacher. And I was, and I was like, do I really like, do I really want to do this? So my junior year, I, I was an Africana studies major to be technical, I was an Africana studies major. We had to do an internship to graduate. And in true fashion for me, I like to procrastinate. So uh, we got like a list of possible places to intern, right? Right, y'all procrastinate. And, uh, and I see on the list, the BET headquarters, and that is in Washington, DC. And I was like, you know what? And this is like the age of 106 in Park when it was still Good. I don't even know if it's yeah. yes when oh, it was still yes. good. Yes. <laughs> so good, right? Yes. So I um I'm like, ooh, I want to be on 106 in Park. I want to I want to intern with BET. Like that. That's it. It's set for me. That's what I'm gonna do with my life. <laughs> that's what I'm telling myself. So I uh, I'm all set to apply for BET. I'm like, this is what I'm gonna do. I had no communications experience. No like nothing. No experience. And I find out that my classmate had taken the last internship spot. So I couldn't apply. I was devastated. I was like, there goes my chance at being a celebrity. There it goes. Goodbye. (laughs) And so what ends up happening is um, my department head says to me, well, Camille, the Maryland Historical Society, which is a small, small history museum in Baltimore, Maryland, they said they need, they need interns. They need curatorial student historian interns you should apply for that. That's what's left. And I was like, come on, like, what? Like that, nah, like, that ain't it. That ain't for me. Nope, I'm trying to be on TV. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> um, like, nope, find your next girl, that, that's not me. And so eventually I, uh, I swallowed my pride <laughs> and I applied and I was accepted. And when I tell you it was the best thing that could have happened to me, it really like, I just didn't realize that there were people who grow up, go to school to work in museums, and that is their trajectory. And so I, I interned there, which then led, uh, I had such a great job, it led to me getting a, a, a job um, post-college, and eventually I went to grad school for history, and I worked at some really big museums in D.C., and, you know, he, here I am now. And it's crazy because um, I was talking with a friend the other day who said to me, you know, it's really cool that you get to see the artifacts behind the glass. And it dawned on me because I'm like, oh, wow, like there are millions of people who when they visit a museum, they only see what 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 they can peek through the glass, but I get to touch the object. Um, I get to touch it. And I, I mean, I truly can say that I am like living my dream. I sometimes think to myself, wow, what would eight-year-old Camille say? Like, that you're working in a museum, you get to play with artifacts, you get to get people excited about the past. And I just like nerd out on it. And 
there are there are a lot of great times in museums. There's also a lot of like stressful times, like when you have to tell somebody that an an object they want to donate is is fake. <laughs> Which yeah, oh yeah, that happens. That reminds yeah. me of the the pawn shop show, like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really pawn stars. Pawn stars. Pawn stars. Yes, yes, is just like pawn stars. <laughs> I would have never. That's something that doesn't even cross my. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, listen. I I got stories. People. There are people. Who, oh yeah. There are people who will, who. Uh, it's it's sad when someone who really um, you know is just making an honest living, just an average living, and they get yeah. scammed. Um, and then we have to tell them like that's not you real. You got scammed, homie. Um, but then there are other people who truly have like oodles and oodles and oodles of money, and they have every resource at their expense to hire someone to authenticate, to do the research, mm. you know, the, to really have a team. And they get scammed, and they're the main ones who, when you tell them like, hey. I know you're saying you have an original Declaration of Independence, but really you don't because it's over in Philly. Like this is this is this is a fake, which actually yeah. did happen, um, which is why I use that example. Um, yeah. Oh, I see. Also, or or something else. That, yeah, right. Or something else that you that you find in museums, which a lot of people don't think about, is um, let's say you have an old T-shirt you want to donate. It's it's a famous T-shirt and you want to donate. Let's say you want to donate it, but your sibling does not. So sometimes you have people where one person wants to donate and the other doesn't, and it opens up a whole can of legal worms. I mean, family disputes. I um, believe it. Oh, yeah. I oh. believe it. I or, believe even, it. or even the fact that when people donate, they think that a museum is going to cut them this big, grandiose check for their item. And, you know, unless it's like... It's, an, it's a donation, right? It, that's the key word to me. Yeah. <laughs> word it's the donation I mean and great like your name will be on it in the in the, the records the file you know if you're yeah. if you write a check you know we might have a plaque with your donor name on it in general in the field but like really museums don't have the money to just oh you gave us this t-shirt yeah let us let us write a check for a hundred dollars like that's just not right that's <laughs> you know? also such in my mind like and I can't think of another word but like that's such an ugly reason to donate like to give to a museum this is about legacy and putting something on display for other people to observe and learn and and enjoy like how dare you <laughs> but you know it actually even opens up a segue to um within the art industry meaning um so right now you have you have many artists that are kind of like i think of as like hot artists who are like claim, you know, their, their works fetch for millions and millions of dollars. You have some people who are extremely wealthy who buy this kind of art to put in their expensive home to hang on the wall. Whereas I'm of the mindset, you're rich, you really don't need to buy this piece of work. Save it for a museum who can buy this so that regular folks can also take a look at this great art that's in demand. Um, so there, there's, there's kind of a buying frenzy um, within the art world where really almost like investments where people are buying art not because they actually like the artwork but, but because they're like oh this artist this is this is an in-demand artist or they'll be in demand in the next few years let me buy it now flip it and then resell it for quadruple what I paid and so oh yeah the art world is the wild wild west it is 
<laughs> I've heard. We'll see. And now that's making me think of, you know, the conversation that's, that for, to me is growing around um, getting museums to like give certain artifacts back to Repeat, like all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's starting to really come out that, you know, Hey, some of these folks hey. are stealing or, or, oh. you know, Oh, are doing things still still are stealing still are they just use different language around it <laughs> but it is oh yes. Really? oh yes you know I will I will give you an example and of course in this podcast I cannot name any museums but let's just say a museum um, <laughs> <laughs> um so there are museums uh that will um let's say you have a, a white donor white male donor because this seems to be the prevalent, where you have these white male donors who will travel around the world uh, to remote parts of the world and essentially dig in the trash for many of these communities of color to take items that are ephemeral in nature, meaning that they were made for one-time use. They may have been made for a festival or a, a regular party, but nothing, no, nothing necessarily culturally significant. So you have these white donors that dig in dumpsters. They pull this object out and they're like, ooh, this is exotic. I'm going to take this to a museum for millions of dollars. And some museums will pay that. They will. Um, they'll, fi they'll find the money to pay for that. Instead of asking this donor, well, did you talk to the, the community that you pulled this from to get their permission? Better yet, get their permission, find out the best way to care for this item, and then come back to us. There, there isn't that level of accountability happening. Furthermore, quite frankly, with being a curator, you know, as I said, people look at us as sort of the subject matter experts. The curatorial field is overwhelmingly white, over overwhelmingly white, uh, particularly Black curators like myself. We only make up maybe two and a half percent within the field. Um, and yeah, the reason being uh, the work tends to be as the museum field becomes more and more professionalized, you, you need you need doctorates, uh, you, you need doctoral degrees, but I don't think you need a doctoral degree to tell you the best way to care for a cultural object. You need people from these actual communities in positions of leadership and power at your museum to tell you the best way to do it because they themselves know how to be good stewards of, of that object, uh, quite simply. Um, yes, and yeah. the the to throw in uh, a, a, the other word of the day, the audacity, audacity. Yes. to go and make a <laughs> the caucasity and audacity. Yes. There you go. There you go. The caucasity, the, the audacity of the caucasity yes. to go pilfering through oh, it, other people's. Yeah. Wow. It's, and and what's, what's what's something that I often hear in the field is. Um, from other other you know white men like oh they had good intentions they're not ex you know they were and I'm like I, I, I don't care <laughs> like you stole you didn't pay these communities for their time their resource you're about to go make a cool a cool buck from selling this thing uh, you know and unfortunately I think with the with the events of last summer with George Floyd's murder you have many museums that put out these solidarity statements but really they're still doing the same harmful practices and I'm just like for what did you put out this statement because capitalism is more than your actual institutional values 
and and it would appear so. And I, and I don't say that as though I'm like hating on the field. I love the work that I do, but I also think that museums have to sit and reckon with the fact um, and ask themselves why many Black, Brown, and other communities of color don't feel safe when they walk through those doors. Uh, they, they just don't. You know, I think of that scene in Black Panther when um, Killmonger was saw his stuff from Wakanda, and I'm like. That is how it is for millions, <laughs> millions of people each and every day. Yeah. <laughs> like that is, yeah. or you know, there is a museum in New York, and uh, they had, and like you can go, you can Google it to find the answer. But there, there's a museum in New York that had um, a curator of Africa, African art, and they ended up hiring a white male for the position. And this wait, Paul, how, what? Huh? First of all, the title and exactly. the how. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. First step, how? Title <laughs> on the skin, don't. That it, it's hey, and they got they got dragged for filth on social media when they pulled that stunt. Um, because people are like, wait a minute, what do you mean you didn't have applicants that were qualified? This and that, like, right? You no, know, you did. Um, you just wanted somebody from an Ivy League. Oof. But let's, and, and that's the other thing within the field is that particularly black and brown curators are often people look at us as though we're supposed to essentially be subject matter experts of the race so for example although my background is african-american history i could very well be korean history japanese history like i don't have to be an expert just because i'm i'm black uh, and so you, you get some black and brown curators that are pigeonholed that are like, well, shoot, like I know how to do other things, but when I apply for these other roles, you don't want to hire me because you think I can only be good at black history. And like, that's not the case. We're good at a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, you got this whole white man trying yeah. to do. Who <laughs> probably showed up in, to his first day in a do-rag. I'm just kidding. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. With, with the field that's really like the stuff that I, I listen one day one day I will truly write a book about all of the things that I have heard in the field and I think it would make people like oh, oh my gosh people say that I'm like yes yes they do yeah. all the time they don't want to give things back they think they're entitled to it they um you know they they'll say things like um oh well um you know I don't think if I, if I don't think it's offensive it must not be offensive and I'm like yeah, you're wrong. It, it is offensive. <laughs> and that's always, that's always such a, a tough, but interesting conversation to have with people yeah. in any field. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've already started to touch on this a little bit, but I definitely want to know more about like, um, just your experiences with, with, especially consistently fighting for visibility of black history and visibility of black and brown folks or particularly black folks, right. Within this industry, Um, you already mentioned, you know, the, the, you already mentioned the George George Floyd's death and the case. Right. And I know I've definitely noticed that there's been heightened racial activity (laughs) since then. Um, the political climate has been even more tense. And then oh, right yeah. now, you know, there's a there's a growing conversation around critical race yeah. theory and the removal of that in schools and in um, places where we're supposed to be educating our kids. Um, and you want to ban that in so many states. However, you also want to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. Like, we're not falling for these weird little we filibusters. That part, yeah. like, you want us to celebrate something that we don't want to, that you don't want us to learn about. 
like I feel, I feel like it's going to be Memorial Day all over again, right? Because Memorial Day, not a lot of people know that Memorial Day actually started with with mm-hmm. Black military men. So, um, but yeah, so I definitely want to know a little bit more about that experience with fighting for visibility sure. in your industry. Sure. So I will tell you right off the bat, um, there tends to be a large exodus of Black folks in particular who leave the museum field every year. And there have been many times that I've wanted to leave the field simply because there is a lot of of lip service that is done. Um, Unfortunately, I I don't know for other fields, but particularly for the arts and museums, money rules everything. So if you are a donor who can afford to write a museum a check for a million dollars, what your wishes are will always um, be first and foremost. Like, doesn't matter what your staff is saying, doesn't matter. You can, that's what's important. The other thing that's really interesting about the museum field is that we are expected to have all these advanced degrees, but the pay outside of like DC and even DC, New York, even is still questionable, but the pay is quite low. Uh, for the amount of education that many of these positions require. And so you have curators in particular who come from very well-to-do families um, who are able to work these low positions uh, or low salary positions, excuse me, uh, and, 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 and do that kind of work. And I'm the first to admit, I've been able to stay in the field as, as long as I have because I come from a privileged background. My parents were able to take care of me when I was in school and all of that. And subsequently when I got married. Other than that, if I was a single person, there is no way I'd be able to stay in the field. Uh, so, so first and foremost, like I said, money, money rules, everything. You have people who get into the field who are from privileged backgrounds. They make connections with artists. It's, it's really a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of a thing. Like, oh, you give me this artwork, I'll put in a good word so you can have a show um, next year at this museum. It's, 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 it's a lot of that kind of um, almost under the table stuff, if, if, if you will. Now on the topic of critical race theory, you know, when, when I saw a lot of Republicans and conservatives getting up in arms about this, I laughed to myself because I remember learning about critical race theory um, in school, like in, in college. And I'm like, it's not this, this, this like Houdini concept. I said, it really, what it is, it's, it's history first and foremost. These are the same, right. These are the same people who are like, oh, I don't want my kids being taught history. I'm like, okay, well then, or critical race theory. I'm like, well then just call it history. You know, you don't want to call it critical race theory. Fine. Don't call it that. But either way, a conversation needs to be had. And, you know, I, you can't, when you think about this nation in particular, you can't talk about, you know, arts, for example, without talking about race with it. Everything is so intersectional that I don't think, you know, folks necessarily want to have that conversation. I mean, when you've been in the privileged class, when your narrative is often the one that's centered, why would you want to change your standpoint and 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 say, oh, let let me share, let let's let other people have a a seat at the table, you wouldn't right. want to. Um, I'm all for, I mean, I tell everybody, especially as a historian first, that it is one of my greatest joys in life is to really make history uncomfortable and jarring because that's how it is for millions of black and brown people each and every day. We know our past. 
if you, as someone who's white, um, you know, you need to sit with your uncomfortable feelings for a moment and really sit and reflect on the passes that you've had in the history of this nation. Um, and, yes. and do it amongst yourselves. Don't do have the audacity life. to come to exactly. Black folks don't, and not hold the conversation about the shit Listen. for us to have to for, forgive you quotes. Right. And not every Black person is your diversity, equity, access, and inclusion expert. Mm -hmm. There are people who go to school for that, who get their certificate, pay them the big bucks. You're one black person on staff does not want to be doing that labor. And that's the other thing mm. with the history of this nation, the, the onus and the labor has always been put, been put on black people to do the educating, to set aside our feelings um, at the expense of white guilt. And like the, those days should be long gone, but unfortunately, especially nowadays, with the with the work of critical race theory and conversations around it, once again, folks are not like, oh, educate us. And it's like, find somebody who actually is an expert, pay mm. them fairly, take the lessons that they share and actually apply it. Because that if you're not gonna apply it, like that's that the part. part. Apply yeah. it. Know apply this it. and apply it. And and both of you have mentioned, you know, white, white guilt and white chain. And it's it's not about no the the to me, the point of critical race theory again rooted in history it's not about shaming you or making you know the the present group of people feel guilty it's just know that you benefit um, from a system that oppresses and suppresses black and brown and people of color and indigenous people just know that how you are how you exist and how you move in this world automatically comes with levels of of benefits and privilege just know that so that you can this about to be a whole different tip but just know that so that you can possibly a be a good human being first and foremost but possibly also be a good ally <laughs> and just be a good human in this world you 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 can't go through the world unequipped no matter who you are you can and i think you know when i when i see folks like him and Han, I'm like, oh, I don't want to learn this. I'm like, hey, we all have to sit with uncomfortable, you know, new information. There's stuff that I learn each and every day that I'm like, oh, okay, that that's language that we're using nowadays so I can be inclusive. Okay, let me like get with it and like <laughs> yeah. adjust accordingly. So right. I'm like, hey, like, we're all learning. It's not just like y'all, I'm, I'm learning stuff too, stuff that I was cool to say five years ago that is not okay nowadays. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I am quick to tell people I'll I'll learn, you know. And and at the same time, additionally, um, you know, as I, it, I'm not saying you know like all white people people are bad or anything like that. I'm not saying that by any means. You know, I'm I'm the first to admit I come from a mixed race background. I recognize the privilege within that. And at the same time, white folks, y'all got work to. White folks and also white presenting folks. And I want to make sure that I don't say white passing because that implies a level of like deception. Um, and sometimes people use passing language, particularly for the trans transgender community. So I want to make sure I say uh, white presenting folks. Y'all know your privilege. Y'all got work. Yes. Um, <laughs> you got work to do too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. that's that's real. Um, and, and we've talked about like colorism on the show briefly. Yeah. 
Um, and that's a bigger conversation that we're, we're, we're definitely going to have in the future. Um, but you're, you're speaking directly to that. And all of that connects with our history, right? All the isms, (laughs) all the isms, they all connect with our history and it all connects from how, you know, black folks have been and continue to be you know, treat it. Um, and you know, yeah, it's just, it, it, yeah. it all connects. It all it, connects. And that's what we're trying to get people to understand. And I will even say, I mean, hopefully this isn't depressing, but even in the museum field, you see a level of like colorism where those that are like the curator, the head curator or director roles tend to be lighter skinned black folks. Um, I mean, you know, they're, they're, of course, someone's going to outwardly say that they're, they're, there's, they're preferencing lighter skin black folks, but you see it alive and well. You see many museums that want one black person on staff and that's it. And so it creates this like competition where essentially everybody's fighting for, for their position um, and feeling like we're in competition when we can all work together. There are more than enough jobs and we can all help each other out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, see, that is crazy. And this is a big example as to why we have you on the show, why we want you to explain what you're doing and how you got there. Because I've said this before, when we just, when we talked that, you know, the purpose of this is to like, you know, allow people to learn what's out there, how to get there or what they can of how to get there. Um, Because we do want to see more of each other in these spaces, not to be not to have someone else to compete with, but, you know, but just so there's just more options. Um, and yeah, we just have more and more people to learn from because this is fucking fascinating. Like truly, this is so dope to hear. And even though there's like some sad parts where it really is perpetuating, um, you know, just everything else we hear in the States about racism, it sounds like, and again, colorism and, and um, discrimination in a sense, right? Um, but there's still barriers to break down um, and you're having those hard conversations. It, it's it, like, you're doing the damn thing. Like it's, yeah, you're having, it's dope. I love it's the work deep. that I do. I truly, I get excited every day getting up, knowing that like young black children will see these exhibits and like see me. And then they're like, oh, wow, somebody looks like me. That's like creating this stuff. Representation matters. Yes. 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 And, and, and so (laughs) that, that feeds me to ask, because I know you, you, you spoke on uh, your time at, at um, NHBCU. Um, Can you also speak to, and and tying in what you just said about, you know, getting up and and doing this, knowing that the, that the young black kids are going to see you and that there's visibility in this. Do you have any mentors or, or are you a mentor to anyone in this field? Okay, so first, my mentor, her name is Jackie Lynn Peterson from Seattle. Jackie is one of the first people that I met when I was like a young college student. Actually, we met on Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, (laughs) We met on Twitter and um, we just like bonded. And she's uh, another Black woman who's just like doing the work. And I think it's important when we see people doing great work, we we speak their names. We, we, We say, hey, like, here's who you should be following. Like, yeah, I'm cool, but here's also three other people that you should be following too. Um, Because again, like nobody is free until all of us are free. Nobody's getting a shine until all of us get our shine is is really what it boils down to. 
Um, another art. person that I really love, her name is Latanya Autry. She's from Ohio, another black woman arts curator. Um, I love her work because she focuses a lot on like calling white run institutions out and saying, here are the harmful practices you're doing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I tend to be a big fan of like folks who um, aren't, aren't scared of calling out. Um, I will tell people, like some people say, I, I can come off mm, serious. I don't want to say bitchy, but I like if I if I see something not you know copacetic, I'm gonna say no. This is unacceptable. Here's how you can do better. And some places you know can be uncomfortable with that, but when you know better, you should do better in theory. <laughs> Yes, you know, yes. I'm and you can't you. move throughout life without being uncomfortable at some point. You got to toil in the soil. Oh, I like that toil in the soil. I'm going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Got another quote to take. Um, <laughs> I love that. And I'm also interested to know how you're leaving a legacy for yourself in the industry as a Black, as a Black queer yes. historian yes. and curator. Yeah, I will tell you, I don't, first and foremost, I don't know any other Black queer historian curators. I don't really know any, at least women. I think I know one or two men, but I, women for sure, I don't I don't know. Um, let's see, I would say the, the first one leaving my legacy is uh, any institution that I work at, it is important that stories that we tell don't just focus on race, but they focus on um, disability. Because oftentimes when you visit museums and you see stories about the past, everyone's able-bodied, but the world isn't all able-bodied. So um, incorporating themes of like disability, um, themes around uh, various socioeconomic, um, you know, points of access, and really trying to create exhibits that are reflective of the world we live in. I, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I, I have a small consulting business. Um, and the reason I started it is because I got tired of working and also visiting museums that I didn't feel reflected the world around me. Um, and so with my consulting business, the goal really is to one day have it be 100% profit, profitable so that I can work for myself full-time. Now I just work for myself part-time, um, but the goal is to like, hopefully five, 10 years, fingers crossed, um, I can essentially create the kind of work that, and also hire people on um, that that I listen that I that I want to hire on. Uh, that's you know that's kind of how I'm building legacy. Uh, and then of course the last way I'm building legacy is really through art collecting. I think black art belongs in black homes, and um, as black folks, sometimes we aren't always exposed to art collecting. We don't really know how to do it, how to get into it. Um, I know growing up, we had black art in my home, but it never occurred to me like, how'd you get into that? How'd you buy that? Um, and I like to tell people the, the, the big secret is to build your, building your art legacy. Uh, it's that, you know, you don't have to start with your first $20,000, $30,000 piece. You can start with a $20 piece. Um, Etsy has a lot of great, great um, artists, uh, Google around Instagram. And furthermore, one of the biggest secrets, and I told you all yesterday, but one of the biggest secrets with art collecting is for, for many galleries, actually most galleries, uh, you can buy things on installment plans. You can buy it on a payment plan. Your favorite celebrity that you see that has all this art in their house, honey, they did not pay full price up front. They did 
not. <laughs> so let them know, let them know. I, um, and I'm also curious, it's going to be one of the last questions, but I'm also curious to know, um, cause you're mentioning collecting black art and being active, um, in that space, but, um, just tell us a little bit more about like why it's so important to participate in, um, investing in black art and also queer black art too. For Black folks yeah. to do that, let me be specific. Black Why it's so important for Black folks and queer Black folks to invest in that kind of art? <laughs> yeah, so I would say it's most important, first and foremost, because uh, particularly if you're a member of the community that the artist is a part of. So if they're Black and you're also Black, or if they're queer and Black and you're queer and Black, you are um, best able to really talk about the work. Uh, right now, Black art is hot. It is hot, 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 meaning... Um, you have a lot of white donors that are willing to drop quadruple to, to, to have this Black art, but they're, they're looking at it as an investment piece. Whereas for Black folks, we're looking at it because we truly, the, the message that's being conveyed in the artwork resonates with us. We're not looking at it because we're trying to flip it, uh, you know, two, three years from now. Um, we know our community best. And when we see art that is reflective of that, we can speak to it. We can talk about it. And we can also share with future generations, you know, the stories of, of the arts. I think so, there's such an emphasis nowadays on like STEM and science and all of that. And that's important too. But as Black folks, we, we need the next generation of culture workers, of artists, of people working with their hands and creating and building their legacy through, through the art that they make and through the art that they collect. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And, and uh, forgive me, I know you just said it, but there was like a string of words that you used and in that I wanted to add to, to appreciate it. Appreciate the, it. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, that connective thread to, to art from, from consumer yeah. to artist where you have, um, um, whether shared background, shared experience, yeah. shared um, um, characteristics. All of that the appreciation for it is so much deeper. And like you said, it's not about flipping it. It's about having it and, and looking up and, you know, and, and seeing something in your living room or your bedroom or wherever in your home every day and, and really having a deep appre appreciation for that. And then, like you said, legacy to be able to, to pass something that not only has monetary worth, but it has, has such a deeper level of, of worth um, because of what it means to your children or fan or, you know, whoever to pass that on. And then to also hold that within your family and then to be able to maybe donate that to a museum one day too, I think just opens up so many doors. Yeah, absolutely. And Listen. I can tell you, uh, you know, get and get work when you like, I tell people buy work when you see your friend who saw their art, you know, on the side of the street, whatever, mm -hmm. that support them because I'm telling you, you never know. There is a certain artist who I wish I had bought from when she was still unknown. Um, who, she's she's from Baltimore and um, she, she commissioned a very famous uh, portrait of, of a first lady. And uh, yes, and I wish I had bought from her back when she was still in Baltimore. And now she's, she's I mean, she was hot stuff before, but now she's really hot stuff. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, like really hot stuff. And so 
um, you know, like that is when you really show artists like, hey, I see what you're doing. I'm investing in that. I see the work. I know that labor and I'm not going to cheapen your labor either. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, that part. And to also say that I don't need your stuff to be worth $20,000 exactly. before I, I don't need exactly. you to be validated by you. other people. Listen, and I'm quick to tell people, um, you are just as much of an artist, whether or not you have a museum banging at your door. You, you are just as much of an artist. You may be an unknown artist, meaning that the right. world doesn't know your name yet, but you are still an artist very much so in your own, in your own right. Yes, indeed. That Ashe. comes from within. That that's something that you know. I, I I'm a true believer in that. Whatever your 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 artist you know journey is or craft is, whether it's working with your hands, or 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 you know doing whatever that is, that it's something that you can't learn in a textbook. It's something that's unshakable, or unshakable rather. That that you 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 feel the need to when you wake up, you have to do this. You have to create, and Art is not yes. optional. Art is not optional. Art is not optional. optional. Get up and yes. compose. Compose. Yes. <laughs> and one more thing. One more thing that I just, I thought yes. about. I want to add. Um, you know, now is the time for folks listening. Begin to to craft your own art. Curate your own exhibit. Who you are. What is the story and legacy you want to leave behind? You know, document, keep your old photographs, digitize them, write things down, um, build that legacy so that your future generations know the story of you. Because as Black folks, when we, when we know our history, we can continue the conversation forward. So, yes, build your yes, art. That is you. everything. And you knew just when to throw that in because, you know, yeah. I was going to ask you if you had any advice for yes. other Black millennials and younger <laughs> generations. In build this your space. archive. And also but, join the field. Join the field. You can do it. To be a history major. Yes, be a history major. Um, and like get get. We need more culture workers. We need people in these museums that are black making yeah. decisions. We yeah. we need us there. Um, I love that cultural workers. We need more culture work. That's real. I love that. We need more culture workers. Yeah, that's what I call myself a culture worker first. Like I'm here for culture. That. Curating a second. It just <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'll throw on to the, or add on to that uh, to also go visit museums. Oh, go to even like farmers markets and farmers look at markets. people's arts. And like you said, Etsy on yes. Google on Instagram. But like now that. So many places, especially I'm I'm in LA here. So many um, places. Well, the state of California, as of June fifteenth, um, has you know officially opened up. Go if you can and if you feel comfortable, safely go and visit these places. Go check out museums, look at exhibitions, and see it. Like go out in your neighborhood. There's so much. You don't always have to go to a formal institution. No. You don't. And some museums, a lot of museums have digital exhibitions. So look at the pictures online. If you can't leave your home, look at the images online. You know? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. There's oh quite a gosh. few that are going to be here in San Diego. But yes. All right. This is what I want. I wanted to do this earlier, but, and I forgot, but I want to do this now. I need to tell Mandisa and our audience how we met. Yeah. You know? okay, yes. <laughs> So, and then feel free to give your perspective on how crazy you thought I was, but <laughs> okay. So I was, it was, it was definitely pre-pandemic. It was. It was, it was, yeah, it was pre-pandemic and I was, so I'll start with this. So I was flying from, uh, flying from Chicago 
And when I sat in my seat, I just saw this just cute little couple that I, in my head, I thought it was a couple. I didn't know, but I saw them. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, they look so cute. Like, I, I hope they're together. I wonder if they're together. It looks like they're together. Let me just, in my mind, they're together, okay? <laughs> but I kept to myself. Okay, so, and then I saw them, like, later on as I'm getting my, like, waiting for my bags. They're waiting for their bags, all this stuff, yeah. right? So I, I saw them again leaving out, but I still didn't say anything. But I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you, <laughs> in my brain, <laughs> So fast forward to like, what, some days later, I had Bria, who's actually been on the show. Um, Bria was on episode 18 and 19, and she's been in our lives, the yoga instructor. The, I've known Bria for years. Really? Oh, okay. Way back, yeah. Yeah, Bria is just, oh, because she's from, she's yeah. also from Maryland. Yeah. Ah, so Bria is just such a great soul for our audience. Go back and listen to episodes 18 and 19. She is such a dynamic person. She's so knowledgeable. Her, her nine to five is like comprehensive sex mm -hmm. education and that's what we talked about we talked about sex so go back and listen to it but anyway so bria invited me to another someone else's like yeah, game night mm -hmm. yeah so she invited me to someone else's game night so it was like for black queer folks so i go and i see the same couple that i saw on the plane and it was camille <laughs> It was, I was like, so I, I think I legitimately walked in was like, yeah. I didn't waste no time. I was like, you uh, was right. Was you was crazy, what's crazy about that flight, that was a flight that my wife and I were literally moving to San Diego. Like that was wow. us trying to start because she got stationed in San Diego. That was us like, and like we, and I'll tell you right before we moved to San Diego, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to know anybody. I have no queer community. What am I gonna do? And that party, I met my true. I met my my black queer tribe here in. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But also that like you flew into each other's lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Literally. That was, wow. I yes. When she, she was like, "You were on." I was like, "I'm not." <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even think about it. I just said it. I was like, and I thought about it later. I was like, "Oh my god, they probably think I'm such a little creep." But I was like. But I legit told y'all, I was like, I wanted y'all to be together. I was like, really hoping yeah. that y'all were like together because I thought y'all were just so cute together. <laughs> and so we've been connected ever since. I don't think I've seen you ever since, but we've been connected basically ever since. Oh, because the, pan the pandemic hit like after that party and yeah. shut everything down. Oh, yeah. that is real. The pandemic. Now, now yeah, it happened like right after. Because oh. I think that party was like in January or something, maybe February. And everything shut down in like oh, March. Yeah. You are absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Because 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 um the couple mm -hmm. such a beautiful actually they're in LA now, but the beautiful They are. Couple, yes. I'm I'm seeing them tomorrow. I'm seeing them. Uh, are you going are you going to LA? I'm uh, well, I'm driving there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You got space in your car. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, but yeah, they they're a super amazing couple. Um, so shout out to them. Yeah. And um, so they had like occurring like game nights for mm -hmm. particularly for queer black folks, um, mm -hmm. which I, I admire so much because it's so hard to number one fan black people in yeah. San Diego. Number one. Um, <laughs> say, I would say this non- San Diegan black people, so yeah. sane black people. There is a difference. There is a difference. <laughs> There's a huge difference. Black people from San Diego is way different. Y'all have heard me say way that different. Before. Like don't um, it's all different. <laughs> yes, let alone black queer. Yeah, females like the, just all the things. Yeah. So 
yeah, just all the things. So it was, I, yeah, that night, and that night was so much fun, but so I did fun. not know that you I, were just moving there. I was, that was literally our flight to move to San Diego. Wow. <laughs> it was all kismet. Oh. And I'm over there stalking y'all. We're going to start our new life. <laughs> wow. I love it. And now I'm glad to be in San Diego. I like it. Um, <laughs> oh, I, love the, I like, the, I love the weather. Yes. Uh, I wish I could bring DC what I love about and just plop it here in San Diego's perfect weather. That's that's, that's the it. dream. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'll bring all the chocolate here because <laughs> it's warm and, and everybody won't have clothes. Of some I'm people, cool. let's talk. Uh, you know, that's a whole. Here I go with whole other <laughs> tangents. Come back for episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I want to give a tremendous amount of gratitude for you. Um, this has been so much fun. You are such a dynamic spirit, such a great, beautiful soul. Um, again, what you're doing is amazing, and I'm so glad that you um, you're here to let us know and to tell us your story, right? Um, um, and yeah, I just want to show that gratitude because I'm excited. Like these things always kind of lift me up and I'm just floating high right now yes. off of your energy. So thank you so, 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 so much. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I want to echo exactly what you just said, Britt, that, that, and you know, we spoke the other day, yesterday, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. <laughs> on the Zoom and, and having this conversation with you, absolutely dynamic spirit, I think captures all, all of you. Um, wow. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And it, it, I love everything that, that you spoke on and, and the work that you're doing. And, and we, we love to highlight and talk to um, our fellow Black millennials who are uh, sometimes the first, the only, um, um, the only ones the only. <laughs> right, in these spaces. And it's so important to know all the different avenues that we are in and to be able to, to talk about creating legacy and turning back and opening doors and, and you know, outstretching a hand and, and bringing um, others in, especially we, we, we mentioned it earlier, the young Black youth. To, for them to know that this is a viable option of a career and a lifestyle. Um, so get into it. Thank yeah. you for being here. <laughs> yes. And let our audience know where they can find you okay. and they can stalk you too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of my social media handles are at curating Camille, all one word curating Camille. You will notice everything is on private because I believe in, um, monitoring who has access to my energy, you know? Uh, so just hit that request button and I will approve, uh, but you will you'll see it's on private. And then I can also be found, if you're in San Diego, uh, check out the Mingay International Museum. We are a folk art and design museum and check out some of my exhibits. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. So you... Yes, just thank you. Okay, uh, we're going to be here all day all night if I keep showing how much gratitude I have. However, <laughs> thanks so much for our audience for joining us. Uh, of course, find us at Living Millennial Productions on Instagram, Living Millennial Productions at Facebook, livingmillennialproductions.com. What else we got? I think that's everything for the most part. Oh, yeah, Living Millennial Productions on YouTube. Um, and let us know what you thought about this episode. We love feedback. Leave a rating as well as a review. This has been. Living Millennial. Thank you. Yes, thank you. We are living.
millennial. Oh, ba, 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 ba. All right, friends, that's our show. Tune in next time. Hey, more to come. More, more, more to come. Be sure to subscribe to our show. Follow us on IG and tell us what you think.